I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalise you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specialising in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Our guest this episode on Thriving Matters podcast is Kerry Howard. Now, Kerry is a trauma specialist and she's got a background that... um, has ranged over a a very successful career in working across government agencies, but also in her own business. She is an award-winning author, and we're going to talk to Kerry today all about her thriving, and I'm sure she's going to share some gems with us. So, Kerry, you are so welcome. It's great to, uh, I can see you. It's great to see you today and be with you. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's, it's an absolute pleasure. Now, I know that um, your CV is pretty amazing. You're, you've won a number of awards uh, for your passion and commitment to um, mental health, particularly PTSD um, here, in, here in the international awards in Australia. And your yep. latest book, The Trouble with Trauma, is also, is also very well known and respected. So... Tell us a little bit about Kerry, just the girl, just the woman, not just the entrepreneur now. (laughs) No, no. The girl is the youngest of five children who grew up in a single parent household. And I think one of the things that that did was help me to understand that you need to be a little bit independent and learn how to look after yourself. Um, I would say sometimes that hasn't necessarily done me bode me so well really in my life because sometimes I can be a little bit too independent and I probably should be (laughs) seeking to connect with other people Um, and you know I I think I came to psychology in later life Um, I remember very distinctly though why and you know Carrie you probably would appreciate I was a 19 year old you know really outgoing kind of vivacious person but I always believed that I had this calling to be able to help people. And I had a meeting with a TV producer in Melbourne and I I kind of wanted to have this bit of a, I want to say like an Oprah style show where we talked about all sorts of things about life to help people. And I remember he said to me, Kerry, I think you have the charisma to pull it off, but where's your validity? And I was kind of like, oh, where's my validity? So then I kind of decided that I needed something, I had to do something to, you know, give me this sense in the community that I had validity. So <clears throat> went back and studied psychology, took me 15 <laughs> years to get my degree and finally walked out, became a registered psychologist and then automatically felt like um, I was put in this box and gagged from being able to do the thing that I actually thought I really needed to do. So interestingly, I'm about to give up my registration uh, because COVID has done some really weird things to uh, the community in terms of the sense of mental well-being. And Mm. as a registered psychologist in this country, there are only limited things that you can do. You're expected to work one-on-one with people 
and not so much, you know, be broader out in the community talking about how we can help ourselves. And so I've decided that I'm going to step away from, you know, the the health service provider and go more into that coaching model to try and uh, help people understand how to build resilience. And, you know, there are definitely ways and means we can do that. And understanding that we all have traumatic experiences that impact our lives and that that's really the basis of why we feel negatively about a whole range of things. But when we understand that, that there's also ways we can resolve it so that we can go on and then live our most sort of fulfilled or best life. So that's the nutshell of it, really. Oh, <laughs> you just yeah. got the life history. Well, no, thank you, because it's a beautiful segue into this notion that we have here on the podcast that it's ordinary guys and gals doing extraordinary things. And what a choice um, that you are now making for yourself and for those you're going to work with. But um, it, it really goes to how you thrive, how you believe you're thriving. And I, I know that thriving isn't easy for everybody. There are times when that roller coaster ride through life um, surprises you, pulls up a whole lot of challenges that you don't know how to um, to uh, yeah. or manage. Um, yeah. And there are skills we probably learnt um, over time that we now don't recognise because we're on autopilot, but there are other things we really are moving towards because we know the changes we need to put in place are for our well-being and uh, not just our physical well-being, but our, our mental health well-being as well. Absolutely. And one of the other things that I talk about actually in the book is how our modern life now, we, we our industrialization has actually, I think, created a, a, a situation in which it's actually causing more negative to our, our life than, than positive. And what I mean by that is, you know, because we now don't have to get uncomfortable. So if, if you don't want to, right? You don't have to leave your house. You don't have to feel cold or feel too hot. You don't have to cook. You don't have to toil your own land to find your own food. And if I don't feel like it, I can lay on the couch, order Uber Eats and watch Netflix. And I don't have to push myself outside my comfort zone. And I actually think that that's a big part of why we've now got this much bigger problem. And why when we look at COVID, why it's kind of making that problem come more to a head. I think you've got a, a spot on um, point there. Um, that notion of instantaneous gratification is what's happening. and has been over the last decade with the advent of lots of the social media. I'm not blaming social media, but it's actually profiling it up front and centre where people have access um, to it so quickly. Yeah. yeah, well, I've been talking to a few business owners lately, and I often get that sense of, you know, well, what's going on that, that our younger employees seem to struggle more with um, a sense of resilience. And a big part of it is because parents um, like me, although not in my case, I'm going to say my, my girls didn't actually have this situation, but, you know, we, we, we wrap them in cotton wool and we help them understand that bullying and harassment was not okay. And we kind of then showed them this sort of social media stuff and they were raised on devices that encouraged them to take an external focus of themselves. And in the book, I actually talk about the fact that we have to 
have a good hard look on the inside to be able to resolve our mm. our interpersonal challenges because while we externalize everything we blame everybody else for why this isn't going the way that we want we're not actually then taking the steps that we need to to resolve it on the inside you've got to be able to look in the mirror and actually like what you see mm. and i don't mean the physical stuff i mean the who i am as a person and how i show up in the world and it takes a lifetime sometimes to get there, doesn't it? I mean, it's not something that happens um, instantaneously and we all have different life experience, different family of origin um, yeah. environments. So really the ecosystem around thriving has to have some, has to have a framework in a way. Has to, well, has to be based on going, isn't it? Yeah, and, yeah. and it's yeah. one of the things that I say to people, I, I developed a program recently called the Mental Muscle Method. And, you know, if you've ever watched on Apple TV recently, Oprah and Prince Harry brought out a, a, a program called The Me You Can't See. And in it, he was talking about building mental muscle. And it's something that I've talked about for a long time because I go to the gym. I say mental fitness is something that we have to work on on an ongoing basis. But in order to do that, we've got to be able to get in touch with how we're feeling inside of our own bodies. And actually, the way that we raise our children, we teach them to disconnect from their body from the time they're quite young. Mm -hmm. So it's a whole system of almost re-educating yourself. When you reach that point in your life, I think we go, this this kind of life that I'm living is is okay, but I'm not feeling like I'm really fulfilled or it has complete meaning or, you know, um, that sense of thriving doesn't feel like it's there. Um, and I think a big part of it is the acceptance of where we're at. Just, you know, that's the way life is up and down. I say life throws you curveballs. You just need to learn to duck and weave and sometimes you get hit. Um, but that's part of being human, I think. Well, we, we both have got some pretty great specs on at the moment, spectacles. So <laughs> I like to use them as a, um, as, a, as a metaphor for the type of lens that we look through um, yep. life with. So to look at our thriving, well, we look at it as, well, you can either be, you know, this notion of a half glass full or half empty, but I think it's, it's more than that. It's, it's when we are self-aware, we can recognise what, what we've already got in place that will move us. Um, from thinking or going down a particular avenue of um, harmful thinking around things that we can't control to how we can then look at through a, through a lens that says, this is what you can control, this is what you know will get you to the next place or a different way of thinking about things. Yeah, because it's an interesting on one. Well, I mean, the notion of control just in and of itself. And I, I think, you know, in order to help people understand why they feel the way that they do, we talk about control because really it's about the, the things that are inside or outside, what's inside your control and what's outside of it. You know, it's why a lot of people are not coping so well with COVID because, you know, we feel that there's this external, we talk about our locus of control, whether it's internal or external. And it's this external power telling you that you can't do the things that you would normally like to do. So the things that you were in control of before, where you went and how you did things, you know, now, now all of a sudden you're not. Now, you know, control is about really our ability to be able to, you know, live the life we want to live, do the things that we want to do. And um, we find that there are lots of negative life events that we might come across that then make us feel like we don't have the control over that 
the, the, the thing that we want to do. And that's where it becomes a problem. And I think sometimes this is where traditionally psychology doesn't necessarily help because it gets you to focus on, well, the control point. I kind of pull back from that and say, underneath it, it's about what is it that you really want to do for yourself and and whether or not that's something that you really do need and, and do want or whether it's something that actually you could probably let go of because it's not mm. necessarily, you know, what what you really need. It's what somebody else tells you you should be doing. And, you know, going back to what I said about the guy telling me I needed validity, you know, I then went down a path that, you know, took me 30 years to then get to a point where I feel like I've got it based on what his notion of it was. So that's a judgment, right? Mm. Did I really need to do it? Probably not 30 years worth. <laughs> yeah, but just think that that 30 years, I mean, the uh, your memories of what actually happened in those 30 years um, sort of give you great grounding. So I was going to say to you, apart from his comment about validity, has there been another or anything else that has really um, altered the way you've looked at uh, the way you show up each day. Um, Absolutely. So when I was 28, I actually got hit by a bus as a pedestrian and I suffered PTSD and I saw a therapist for a year. It's part of the reason why I then went into trauma therapy because from my perspective, I always say to people that bus saved my life and people go, what? <laughs> like, you know, it was such a big thing, but it was because I, I think prior to that, and I talk about in the book, I talk about whether we we're truly recovering or if we're just repressing things. And it's certainly in my younger days, I repressed things. I mean, that's actually what we teach our children to do. And yet, I didn't realize the impact that that was having on my on my physical body and also you know my mental body. I wasn't really we we often think that we we're over something therefore we've processed it. No, we're over it because we managed to repress it and bury it underneath a whole bunch of other stuff. Doesn't necessarily mean it's working or helping us. In fact, it's usually impacting our body in other ways. So for me the bus really um I say to people it was on one hand, the worst experience of my life, but on the other hand, I think I needed to go through that process to enable me to resolve a lot of the issues um, from my childhood and some of those other things that were impacting me at that time. They had shaped me, absolutely, but I think my ability to come to a point of really accepting myself came from, you know, hitting that rock bottom and then having to rebuild my way out of it and and examining who I was in comparison to what other people were projecting I should should be. Um, and so that I'm going to say that's probably the most uh, pivotal experience in terms of, you know, how I ended up here. Gosh, that's uh, an incredible metaphor, though. Hit, hit, you know, are you, have you been hit by a bus? Absolutely. <laughs> I don't recommend it to be the only way. I sort of say to people, could you just you know, imagine what that would be like and then take the actions to resolve things before <laughs> those sorts of things happen. But the universe is really, you know, I laugh. I say to people, the universe, she has a really cool sense of humour. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there are sometimes things that are so um, obvious and in your face that you just don't have any choice. You have to deal with those yes. things at that, at that point in time. And mm -hmm. if you ignore it, they'll come back to you usually tenfold. 
until you start listening. Oh yeah. gosh. Well, okay. Let's let's have a think about. Um, tell us what it is that um, really puts a smile on your face most most days. Um, I talk about how do you wake up full of awesome, right? So I want to wake up full of awesome every day. And when I'm not waking up full of awesome, it's usually because there's, you know, I've taken on too much or there's some other kind of thing I can't seem to, to work out. I, uh, I've recently renovated my little house and turned it back into my office and it, I've painted it pink and, you know, it's pink inside and out. And, um, you know, it has all these black kind of feature bits. And a lot of my, excuse me, cough. That's okay. <coughs> and, it's, and it's hay fever season, so we're, we're resonating with you because spring has right. sprung early. <laughs> easy <clears throat> sorry let me try and get my voice back because <clears throat> i was just you won't know, know while kerry's just um, getting getting her voice back there you <laughs> won't know because you can't see but kerry has the most incredible fuchsia pink hair beautiful nails that match and sensational glasses so she's got these sensational frames on so when we're talking about the pink and I can I just resonate then if you've you've painted the room pink and you've got the black on well you've just it's <laughs> your signature color yeah? it. well it's and and the house is a little workers cottage and it's um I decided to decorate it in art deco kind of style but even the cupboards and things are a are, are pale pink and a lot of my friends at the time were kind of like, oh, don't you think it's a little bit OTT? And I'm like, well, it, it reflects me and that's what makes me happy. I'd, and when I moved, I moved the office back into it and I moved into an apartment. Um, I live in Canberra, so down on the waterfront by the lake. And people are like, but you just renovated the house. Why would you do that? I said, because I get to be in the house and, and share this space that makes me smile um, every day. I actually spend more time in my house by working from it than I did living in it and you know it's a really um it also has this really lovely sense of of being you know a place that feels comfortable and warm and it's probably one of the things that as a therapist a lot of people sort of say I'm probably one of those people who represent this sense of self-acceptance this is who I am you don't have to you know, I'm not asking you to live in the little pink house you know um mm. not it's not going to appeal to everybody but it's been fascinating that as I've done it and everybody kind of goes, oh, my goodness, it looks so good, right? And it's just kind of like, it sounds weird, but it just, you know, it all comes together. And I think reflecting who you are as a person and being true to yourself um, comes from a place of being okay uh, with not, not, in, like, not buying into the judgment of others. And it's taken me a long time Gary, to get to the point where I was seriously I'm okay with me and if you're not okay with me that's fine I don't expect to yeah. you know have everybody think that the way I way I show up in the world is something that they they like but I, I have, make no judgment about how other people turn up in the world so you know what does it matter well, that's that's right. So I'm just going to say to you, what have you got a few little um, things that you do every day? Now you've got you, you've already set it up very nicely. You've surrounded with 
the color schemes that you like, the style that you like. So you've already got an environment that you've you've been deliberate about creating for yourself. But are there some other things you've got in your day that really back up who you are and who you well, want to be each day? It's um it's interesting because I I tend to approach each day with with that sense of gratitude, and I I talk to people about. Um, I set up post-it notes around my bathroom mirror usually, but I say to people, you have to change these at least every three weeks because, and what I mean by change them is colour and messaging because your brain starts to get used to those things being around. You don't pay any attention to them, but it's the sense of being grateful, you know, and nowadays because I'm now living on the waterfront I know that water makes me feel better so at the front of the office I have a pond that actually has running water and um, you know I deliberately keep that so that frogs will come in the summertime because the sound of frogs makes me you know quite happy Um, and I spend time with I I have a I have a dog who um, is trained as a therapy dog but basically that means I get to have him with me 24 7 and mm. and I think that connection and that feeling that you know we've got some some something else I think dogs in particular or other animals there's a sense of you know onus and responsibility that keeps us mm. moving on days when we don't feel like moving a lot like I have to get up now and take him outside every morning and and it's kind of like sometimes we need to set up situations in which we're forced to do those things that we would otherwise not feel like doing. So going back to what I said about Uber Eats and Netflix, I I reflected back on being in Europe and I was in Greece actually and a, a small sort of village and people still into their old age, getting up every morning, taking the sheep down to graze, you know, having to go and get them back at the end of the day, looking at what's in their farming family plot to work out what they're going to eat that day. That those subsistence things that we do that keep us moving and doing things are actually beneficial to our mental health because they actually make us move when we and do things even when we don't really feel like it Mm. and one of the problems I think we have in modern society is this sense that we drive everything we do by how we feel about it and sometimes you know we have to we you, you know that saying feel the fear and do it anyway I don't like in in the sense of you know just pushing yourself all the time because I don't I think that encourages repression but it's the recognition that if the fear is there why is the why is the fear there and yes how do I find ways to help myself to move through it without just this you know pretending I'm okay and you know one of the things you you talked about in in your information that you gave me before all of this kind of conversation was the sense of some of those syndromes that we talk about like imposter syndrome I I hate the term right because it implies that, you know, you don't feel good enough in a situation, but you should just, you know, find a way to push yourself past it. And I don't agree that you should do that. I think we're, what we need to do is try and understand what's at the basis of it. And in my book, I give you a, a thing called the self-management system, where mm-hmm. I talk about the basis of your ego and how we grew up and in like it impacts how we feel about that. Imposter syndrome for what we kind of commonly refer to it is is actually 
the child part of us who is still feeling like somebody's going to come along and judge me and tell me that I'm not good enough. Now, when we understand they're not good enough and we understand that, that where it came from, we can actually do some work that resolves the feeling so it's no longer there. And this is the part that a lot of people, um, I want people to understand that we don't just need to push ourselves past things. If we can look at what where they come from, there are ways that we can truly actually process and resolve those feelings so that they don't keep coming back. Mm. Um, and that's actually, I mean, I'm an EMDR therapist. That's where EMDR therapy probably comes into it uh, more so than some other therapies. It really does help you to move past some of those things or those natural reactions and responses that are actually trapped in our memory so I like that trapped trapped in the memory is um that's I as you can tell I I like to work in images as well and um the metal that trapped trapped often means that yeah the fit the fear just starts to escalate even more and uh it's you you actually don't see a way to actually move through it or or move be able to acknowledge it to move on um, no and one of the things about fear and I actually explain this in the book um, your true self is actually your four-year-old now why why that's the case is probably too long to explain right here but um, I would encourage anybody who wants to understand it a bit more I've got a 20 minute um, like a TED talk on the troublewithtrauma.com uh -huh. and I, that kind of gives you the overview of, of what I talk about in the book in more detail. Right. But in essence, our true sense of self comes or our ego comes from our four-year-old self. And it, it's got some developmental reasons behind it. But if we just accept that that's the way it is, what we do as a four-year-old is because we take responsibility for the negative things that happen. So at that point, you have concrete thinking, good things happen to me because I'm good, bad things because I'm bad. So... We don't want bad things and we don't want bad feelings. So this is where you may have heard of you internalise your most critical parent. And that part then is like an adult part that is criticising you and doing all of the things in your own head to stop you from doing the things that will get you into trouble from your parents. <laughs> now, when we understand that, right, and we understand that that part of us becomes our protector part, and that part of us stays with us our whole life. And our most extreme emotional reactions come because we trigger into either our protector part, which is where we get angry, either at others or ourselves, or our child part, which is where we're scared about, you know, this fear that we can't stay connected to other people and we need connection for survival, which is why those things really do play out right through your life. And when you understand it's just a system of parts and you, you are able to resolve the biggest kind of fears or things that make you feel shamed, then you can actually learn to manage your own life and you can get that part of you that's very critical, your protector part, to recognise that the person that they, they were designed to protect is this four-year-old, you know. So <laughs> when we feel this fear, I always say to people, if you're upset, close your eyes and imagine your four-year-old self sitting in your lap and give her a big hug, right, because she's just scared. But you just need to remind her that 
you're an adult now. There's an adult in you that can work this out, right? So we don't, because the imposter syndrome's there because we tell her to sit down and shut up and stop making my life difficult because I'm getting scared right now. And that's the protector part that's being very critical. So it's a really simple, it's actually a simple system. And this is where I say to people, that I is. just want, yeah, I just want more people to understand the system. And that's why I created this self-management system. And it helps to explain oh. why we feel, how we feel at any given point in time and how to put ourselves back into our rational mode of moving forward, as opposed to what we tend to do, which is going to our numbing mode where we, you know, that's where our addictions come in, whether we're shopping or, you know, drinking or eating or doing the things that we, because we don't want to feel. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. We, we don't want to do that. It's only, that's a temporary thing. And they're usually the behaviors that you kind of go, oh, I wish I didn't do that. So you deny yourself and chuck all the chocolate out and then um, you know, the child in you gets activated and wants to feel comfort. And you've got no chocolate. So you'll jump in the car and drive down the shop and buy some. Buy before you kind of realize, yeah. <laughs> but, when we kind of, but when we recognize it's a system, then yeah. when we kind of go, oh, I really want the chocolate, it's kind of like, oh, well, hang on. Before I go and buy the chocolate, what's going on? Oh, you know, Kerry, that, that is... That is, I think this would be fascinating for a whole lot of people. So your system is called the self-management system. And yes. if people are interested um, in further um, investigating this for themselves or for those that they care about, um, what's the best place to go? You've got a website. So um, if you go to kerryhoward.com.au, yes. I actually do have, there you'll find the book. So the trouble with trauma is there. But yep. also um, there is training that um, I did. It's about an hour and a half workshop just about the self-management system. But the self-management system is also outlined in the book. Oh, fantastic. So we've got the book, the book as well. I mean, you're, you're layering the, the, your, your whole notion of thriving in this area, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, we have to, because we have to help people understand how they got here, but also how all of that is really normal. And when we can just accept that, and here's a system for how you manage yourself going forward, you don't need, you don't need to come to a therapist all the time. And, and given I, one of the biggest issues with COVID is that, you know, the government just stood up and said, hey, go and see a psychologist twice as many times. Well, um, there's less than 3,000 psychologists in private practice in this country and it's getting less all the time and the pressure is, is so great. I really want to empower people to help mm -hmm. themselves and giving them all of the tools that they need to do that. Um, and, you know, some people will come at it because they recognise that trauma is there. But one of the reasons I created Mental Muscle was because it's yeah. there are people who want to see them, they, they like to challenge themselves, right? But in essence, the information that we kind of, you know, that I give them about how they got here and how to make it better, it's not really very different. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Just you've got to serve it up on a different plate, right? Because it's, it's interesting how sometimes we self-select out based on a word that we don't we don't identify with yeah yeah that's so true now looking back looking back over your your years is there something you would have in if with hindsight is there something that you you may have done differently that would be part of 
you know. I probably wouldn't have jumped through the hoops of trying to become a psychologist, I think. Um, although I must admit that that decade of doing individual therapy really, I think, has helped me to create this system because, mm -hmm. you know, I've seen thousands of, you know, people behaving in the same way, feeling the same things about themselves and come to the conclusion that there, there is a way we can help people to manage it. I think the, um, the regulatory process in Australia in particular, has it makes that quite challenging. And I didn't realise until I was in it, the limitations that it placed on what I could do or say or mm. how I could show up in the world. And so that's a big part of where I'm kind of like, well, I think I'm done now. I can probably step away from it and talk. I think it's important to feel that you can speak your truth. And uh, that's really where I feel like I'm at. Um, I want to step away from it really so I can speak my truth. Well, we're in the middle of a pandemic that we've never experienced before. We've got very variations of, um, of, of mutations going on. So really, it's disrupting. Um, yes, the way we very are much in, so. Yeah, so it, the way that you're um, able to contribute and what you, you really believe in and want to contribute to the world is, is disrupting the, the way it's being done before as well. And there are many people who are able to gain a lot from a book, gain a lot from doing courses um, by themselves. And there are those that actually do need someone to walk with them yeah. as, as we go along. And I think having the, the spread of that is, 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 is stunning, is, is beautiful, really. There's something good coming out of um, something perhaps that's not optimal that we don't, that, you know, they're all being surprised and challenged about um, and looking for a way forward for ourselves. So it's great to have the variety of resources um, and ways to think things through. Yeah, well, I think because one of the other things that I think is important and I'm just thinking back to that leadership element, right? And I think we all... We can all be uh, leaders in varying fields, but if you're in an organisation or, you know, I've spoken to different leaders at different points. In Australia in particular, um, we're being given the ownership or responsibility for not only the physical well-being of our people, but our, their mental well-being as well. And a lot of people are feeling quite overwhelmed by not understanding, you know, they don't feel like they have the skill or the ability and yet they're, they're being lumped with the responsibility. So part of the reason where I, I kind of went to uh, educate organisations in how to prevent psychological injuries was a big part of this sort of um, sense that it's a, a framework, that individuals operate from within their own framework, and that when you have everybody in the organisation understanding that same framework, we can mediate our own problems be, with each other. We don't need an external person to come in and do all of that. And I'm hoping that I like we be able to get to a point where if we can do a program like Mental Muscle, and the reason, because I, I do that over 12 weeks, I've seen resilience programs that are like one day, and I say to people, and look, no offence to any of those other things, but Mental Health First Aid, as an example, is a two-day workshop. We know from learning that you have to, you can't just do it once and expect that that's going to, you know, keep you um, aware. We don't go to the gym once 
for a two-day workshop something, work really hard and expect that's going to keep us fit for the rest of our lives. We have to work at it and maintain it. And so the first part is often to get you, that's why gyms do 12-week programs because they're trying to get your body used to this way of doing things because we build up a sense of expectation and regular kind of input makes a big difference. And if you look at workplace learning models, you know, you might have heard of that 70, 20, 10 transfer of learning framework. Yep. When we're talking mental health, the 70 is what you learn on the job. Well, I don't know about any of you, but um, how much mental, how much mental sort of psychological awareness do we bring to our workplace on a day-to-day -day basis? Mm. Right. And when we've got all the ego and other things coming in, we often bring a lot of, you know, throwing off onto other people for stuff and we're not taking our own responsibility. So I honestly think that it's an opportunity and that disruption is a good chance to kind of go, we have to change. We have to change the way that we approach people in that work environment. We have to change, we have to offset the impact of that social media I'm actually really worried about what happens with my my grandchildren, right? Wow. Where they're growing up with a camera pointed at them 24-7 and an external sense of validity about what I look like or what I'm doing is the only thing that they have to, to make them feel good about themselves. And even though I can really strongly understand and recognise the pain on the other side of it, I, I say to people, survival is miraculous, but recovery is a choice and you, you need to choose to move past certain things. Mm -hmm. um, I'm concerned about the, the young generation don't have the problem-solving skills and the resilience to be able to kind of go, I've got anxiety, here's my get-out-of-jail-free card, and how do we help business owners and, and you know leaders to say, okay, I recognise the anxiety, we understand that's fear, how can I, you know, what can we do to help you move through it, rather than it being a, I don't have to do anything, that's my stop here, I'm, I'm stop the merry-go-round, I want to get off kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that it's really hard because society changes, you know, goes from, no, this never happens to, oh my goodness, it's everywhere. And then we've got to kind of get the pendulum swing back to the center. Yeah. And it happened years ago when we talk about, you know, sexual abuse, oh, it never happened. And then, oh my goodness, it's everywhere. And it's kind of like, it does happen. It's not everywhere. We need to, we know how to deal with it. We can give people a voice in it. Mm -hmm. Same thing needs to happen, bullying and harassment. It's like, we never used to acknowledge it. Now it's everywhere. And we have to bring it back to a centre point where it's kind of like, no, there's we're paid to do a job and we have to do a job just because there's some sort of, you know, critiquing to improve doesn't mean that that's a necessarily horrible, nasty thing. They're very different. And I do that in a lot of organisations, trying to help people understand what really bullying and harassment is and what it's not. And it has big impacts when it's done badly, but I think when we can normalise that, you know, sometimes we're approaching it from our own pain and hurt and we're putting that onto somebody else and that's not okay. But also there comes a point where we have to take responsibility for our own recovery. That's it. And I was just thinking as you were talking there that that quote of yours, um, uh, recovery is a choice, survival is miraculous. Um, either way you swap that around, it's spot on because it's actually saying to us, we do have some um, influence in how we show up 
each day and how we want to show up. And there are so, I mean, everyone has a story. I I always say to people, well, we all have a Kokoda. I, you know, if yep. I, I use that, I, I walked the Kokoda Trail a number of years ago. I had specific reasons why I wanted to do it. I did it. It was absolutely mammoth. And so I, it comes back to me and I go, a Kokoda for some people is getting out of bed each day, right? A Kokoda yep. is those kids that are actually parenting their parents because their parents uh, aren't functioning well. Yep. There's a whole lot of a whole lot of things we could do, but recovery is a choice. And the tools that you've and resources that you've um, shared with us today so generously, thank you very much. Are there You're welcome to help us. And I think when we look at um, if we look at the globe at the moment and we look at what's actually going on whilst we have a pandemic, there's floods, there's fires, there's military coups, there's um, you know, lots of changing things. climate stuff <laughs> yeah the whole, the whole it's it's continually going on and it has really if you look at history it's always been the same there's always been something going on somewhere we have a whole lot of information at our fingertips and it can actually be quite overloading for some people but the other part of this is we have a choice we have a choice to actually look at our, our recovery for a number of things. And we all have trauma of, of some, some point. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's interesting because when the pandemic first hit and then the beginning of the book, I actually talk about why um, our connection is actually at the essence of human survival. And trauma creates a disconnect. That's why trauma is a problem because it actually threatens our attachment or our connection to other people. And so when we can understand that, it makes it easier to, to then sort of see why, you know, that we talk about small traumas and big traumas. And I think that was one of the things, you know, we've got, I wanna say more trauma-informed awareness as a result of COVID and prior to that the bushfires right so yeah but in the book I sort of talk about the fact that if you look back to Gaia theory and I don't know if you've ever heard of Gaia theory but Gaia theory is a an idea that um came out about 40 years ago about the fact that the earth is this living breathing organism and that when it gets imbalanced that there are things that happen to rebalance it now you know I'm I'm still this kind of conscious awareness of the, the fact that even though I have individual things that I might do and the way I want to help others and, and how I want to show up and support others in the world, that that means I have to have an awareness of myself as an individual, but also how I connect to members of the community mm-hmm. and recognising that how I do that and, and what I'm doing in that community also has an influence that impacts the community larger community and these days because of the way we can connect that ultimately influences that global community Mm. and it's really important when we start to have that awareness that what we do each day and the little it's like the ripple effect right the little things that we do or the the butterfly wings the sense that it seems like such a small thing but the pay it forward idea right means that ultimately it's going to have this positive impact and influence and you know I think what's what we've noticed about the disruption and what you were talking about before we we can't ever be static 
we can't ever expect that things are just going to stay the same because we don't grow without having to kind of overcome things, challenges. You know, we talk about with no, if there's no pressure, there's no diamonds, right? So, and it's true, that sense of we, we have these life experiences, we learn to overcome them. If we, if we do the right thing, then we open ourselves up to share that with, with other people who might also need to learn how to, you know, overcome certain things. And, you know, that's actually the bit I'm really looking forward to is the opportunity to be more collaborative and help other people with their particular kind of niche areas of who they're working with because sometimes we just need an, an answer or, or in some insight into a problem that's a little bit different to the way that we've traditionally thought about things. Yeah. And I think probably the biggest thing I say to people is, you know, you're the hero of your own life. Um, I'm just Yoda, right? You're going to come and ask the question and I'm going to say, do or do not, there is no try, right? So <laughs> just <laughs> go and do this or try that or do something else. But it's also, there's not one answer. You know, oh. there are a glad bag of things that you can pick from a toolkit that, and actually in chapter six in the book, I give people, here's all of the different things you might want to try from, you know, dance therapy to cold water immersion to, you know, <laughs> Or yoga to meditation to mindfulness to you know whatever hang upside down and make all the blood rush to your head if it feels better do it do it, do it. we're all licorice all sorts and that's the yes. beauty of of being human and alive we don't all have to be the same uh but changes you're so right it would be boring wouldn't it oh well change is everywhere it happens every day have it Think about how many times you've already changed your itinerary for this morning <laughs> and you're thinking about when the juggle. So, Kerry, you have been absolutely stunning and I do know that and I have this great feeling that there are so many opportunities for you to share your way of looking um, at the world but also because you have intrinsically a huge heart and you you know you want to to share that and be and connect with those who um are finding life um quite tough at the moment so thank you for that now listeners if you really enjoyed what kerry's had to say and you've heard her be so generous in giving us some tips out of her book and her courses pop on to kerry howard k-e-r-r-y howard.com.au and you will find all her goodies there. I'll put that link into the, the notes as well. And if you would like to know more about what I do, Carrie Benedett, pop on. I'm on all socials as well. You'll find me easily. But um, we have a brand new website. Uh, so there's some really great goodies there as well. Our Global Leaders Thrive Masterclasses are up and shining. Kerry, you are a global leader. There is no doubt about it. So I just want to thank you so much. You thrive in life and work. And as you've shared with us, it hasn't always been easy, but you've made the choice and uh, you, are, you now help and work with others um, to share out that great news. So thank you for that. You're welcome, go, Carrie. Thank you. Go gently, everybody. Pop on to your favourite podcast um, app, whatever it is. Uh, we really would uh, love a, re a review and a share. So send it on. Send it on. We've got so many different great ordinary guys and gals doing extraordinary things in life. And that's what Thriving Matters is all about. 
Nice to talk to you, Kerry. Take, um, have, look after your good self. Have a great day. And Thank uh, you. don't let that hay fever from the Monero get too much for you. <laughs> no, no. Everything will be good. I'm still waking up each day full of awesome, so it's okay. <laughs> well done, you. All right. Bye, everybody. You are precious. Your thriving matters. Bye for now. I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters. <laughs>